To really understand New York sports, you gotta breathe it, live it, experience it. Whether you're watching the Grom strike out batters at City Field, or watching Randall Barrett and the Knicks at the Garden, heck, even watching KD, Kyrie, or Harden drop 50 in Brooklyn. Whether you're a Yankees fan, Rangers fan, Giants fan, Jets fan, or even an Islanders fan, there's one thing they all got in common. They represent this city, just like this podcast does. Rotten Apple Sports. Tune in. Welcome back to another episode of the Rotten Apple Sports Podcast. This is your host, Larry, as always, joined by my co-host, Los. Today, we're going to give a little bit of the Giants-Saints preview for this Sunday. We got the Jets versus Titans preview on the agenda. We're going to talk a little bit about Kyrie and his vaccination situation. We're going to talk a little bit about the Knicks media day. And we're definitely got to talk about some baseball. It's been a while since we spoke about baseball. It's only right. Regular season is almost over, only a few games left. Yankees about to clinch a, a wild card spot. Our Mets suck. Sandy Alderson just had his 50-minute press conference. It, it was frustrating watching that press conference, to be honest. How did you feel about it? I feel like it's the same old, same old with Sandy Alderson. I feel like it's time for him to go. We've heard enough of him. We've seen enough of him. He doesn't give a lot of information to begin with. He doesn't give a straight answer, but just listening to him, it was like, okay, it's time. Get me, get me a new president, have Sandy go to the background, let him do some business stuff. But when it comes to making important day-to-day decisions, they need to move on from him and they need to take this team in a new direction. It's going to be a huge off season. And at the end of the day, um, the next couple of weeks are going to tell us a lot because in the next couple of weeks, we'll see who's going to be running the team. But I, I just like to say, here we are another year. At the end of the year, the Yankees are getting ready for a wild card slash playoffs. It's the playoffs, no matter what, if you want to call it the wild card. The Yankees are getting ready for the wild the playoffs, and the Mets are getting ready for the offseason early. It uh, seems to happen way too often. Yeah, and it's frustrating. It's another one of those seasons where we led the division for so long and then started to collapse. The only difference is that it didn't happen in September. The collapse started a lot sooner than expected. But like I warned you in the beginning of the season and I warn you every year, I don't care how we start. We can start out undefeated in the month of April and I still wouldn't be sold on us being a playoff team until I see them winning in the summertime which is something we rarely do. It, it, it's been a brutal season, a lot of injuries, a lot of um, rescheduled games, a lot of inconsistency with the roster. It's been very frustrating. I, I think the the front office, we, we need a complete revamp. Um, Sandy's got to go. Uh, he's too archaic with the way he thinks and the way he tries to build the team. He doesn't vet people the way that he claims he does. How many people did he hire that ended up having issues and we had to get rid of them? And then now our acting GM is dealing with a DWI or DUI. I still don't know the difference, but it, it it's crazy. Like, I just don't understand what's going on with us. We got a new ownership. And at times it still feels like the Wilpons are owning the Mets, right? Like, it, it's crazy. Like, it doesn't make sense. I didn't expect everything to change overnight. But you bring in Francisco Landor. He underachieved, but you bring in Francisco Landor. You half-assed the trade deadline and only trade for Javi Baez. I'll just, I'll, I'll just say when it comes to Sandy, it, it gets me angry talking about him because I think of all the moves over the years, all the mistakes and the smugness. He's, he's smug. He's smug with the media. He's smug with the fans. He's always got a joke. So... When we review the people he hired, they get in trouble. They embarrass the organization. And he got the nerve to say there's nothing wrong with the hiring principles or the background checks or something. Obviously, something's wrong. Because if something keeps happening, the Wilpons are gone now. Like you said, this is new ownership. There's one person left. I'm pretty sure there's a couple of people left. But there's one major person left. 
and that's Sandy Alderson. And stuff keeps happening under Sandy Alderson. And there's no excuses anymore. New owner, he wants to win. He wants to change things. You want to change things? You got to get this guy out of here. Period. You just have to. It's time. Supposedly, they're going to be um, expanding their process and the way that they vet candidates. I'm not sure exactly what they plan on doing, but Sandy said, and I quote, I made it clear that we would do what we could to expand the process both identifying candidates, doing backgrounds on candidates, and that has been the case. On the other hand, there's never been a perfect background investigation. There's never the ability to perfectly predict what circumstances may arise. I think we're being more fulsome in our review process and broader in the types of people that we talk to. To the extent that we can make sure the process is more systematic, deeper, and broader. That includes feedback from as many different sources as we can possibly get. I call bullshit. He didn't I, say I anything. He didn't say anything. He didn't say how they were going to expand the process. And the fact that he used the words, you cannot perfectly predict what circumstances might arise, is bullshit. All you can reference with that is the Zach Scott situation. But Jared Porter, Mickey Calloway, there were instances while they were with the Mets, and there were instances from before they were with the Mets. So the fact that this has been going on for so many years with Callaway in particular, and you had absolutely no idea, supposedly, is, is bullshit. Don't sit there and say anything about predicting the circumstances that may arise when shit was going on before they came to the Mets and you still hired them. So I don't know what your process is, but it's garbage and you need to do better. And the fact that all he kept saying was we're going to expand the process, like I said before, and giving all the same vague statements that he gave from the beginning of the season is bullcrap. The fans deserve better. The media deserves better. The Mets organization as a whole deserve better. I'd just like to say, I just got to name one name, Trevor Bauer. This offseason, the Mets were heavy on Trevor Bauer. Sandy Olderson was on WFAN. One of the biggest radio stations in New York when it comes to sports, actually the biggest radio station, basically sending out an invitation to Bauer and his free agents to come talk to the Mets last all season. And guess what? Everybody knows Bauer's history. There's years and years going back of the situations Bauer's gotten into. So what kind of research, what kind of background you're going when me, you, and any other fan can see that Bauer was not a good guy to come bring here and you were going to pay him more than Jacob DeGrom. So again, how, how deep, how extensive of, of a background search are you doing when something as simple as Trevor Bauer, who, by the way, if he would have came to the Mets, would have been uh, scheduled to make more than Jacob DeGrom and would have missed half the year because of the situation he's in. Can you imagine this year and just add Bauer coming in here with his problems? It would have been a disaster. And and they were very close. They they wanted Bauer badly. So and it's funny that you brought up – sorry to cut you off, but it's funny that you brought up Trevor Bauer in particular because yeah, no, no, it's, okay. it's well documented what, what happened this season, right? But even before this season, all the stuff on social media and the way he was treating women on the internet yeah, – and inciting Everybody harassment, does. inciting harassment and violence, and even double downing on this stuff on his on his YouTube page. And even when the Mets were in the hunt for Trevor Bauer, there were a lot of fans speaking out against Trevor Bauer. From the moment he became a free agent, there were so many people all over Twitter and the internet talking about Trevor Bauer's off the field stuff and how no one should sign him and he needs to be out of baseball. And I thought it was a bit harsh until everything that happened this season and came to light this season with the lady from California. And then you find out more stuff and that someone else said they went through something very similar when he what when he was with the with the with the Reds or was it when he was over in the American League with the Indians? I, I forget I, I where it was. I don't know exactly when it was. It doesn't even but, matter. It happened. 
the what matters is that it happened. It doesn't even matter what team he was on. Is the fact that and there's multiple multiple times. Yeah, so so it's crazy. Like and the, and to your point, this is another person that was under serious consideration, and the only reason why he didn't become a Met was because he picked the Dodgers over the Mets, which would have been another. Ad- go home. Yeah, it would have been another asterisk on Sandy's Mets resume. This is this is bad. But the thing is, the good thing is that Sandy said he's willing to transfer over control and president of basketball op- um baseball operations. Sorry. Got the NBA on my mind. Season's right around the corner. But he said he's willing to hand over power and that they're searching for president of baseball operations. You know me. I've said it since before Sandy got brought back. I've said it after Sandy got brought back. And I'll say it until my last days, until this man actually comes here. But you know Theo Epstein is my guy. Theo Epstein is the one person that I want more than anybody in the world to come work for the Mets organization. Do you have anybody other than Theo that you would like to see the Mets interview and possibly hire to be the new president of baseball operations? I have a a top guy. I don't know if it's realistic because he's still under contract, but David Stearns with the Milwaukee Brewers, he's their president right now. He's done a great job. He used to work for the Mets a couple of years back. The Mets tried to talk to him last year and the Brewers ownership didn't let them. I don't know if they'll get a chance this year, but he's definitely a name that I always, you know, hope they'd be, be able to land. Now, if you take him off, obviously, because you might not be able to talk to him, a lot of people are high on Billy Bean. I like Billy Bean, but here's the thing I'll say about Billy Bean. I don't know if at his age, he's almost going to be 60 right now. I kind of want somebody who's young, who can grow into the job and be here for a long time, somebody smart. I always think try to get guys from the smart teams. Go get guys from like Tampa. You know, Tampa always seems to find players, whether it's internationally or or they make trades for players on other teams that haven't gotten a chance or they, they get minor leaguers. You know, they're always competitive with a, with a nothing payroll. So if you can get somebody from Tampa, I wish I could give you a name. But if you can get somebody from a smart team like that, I just want somebody who can grow here and who could be here for a while. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, to be fair because we're killing Sandy for some of these hires. Porter and, um, oh, man, what's the other guy's name? It was Porter and the original guy they hired. They both did work under Theo Epstein in Chicago and Boston at one point. I don't know how much they worked with him, but, you know, you, you, you do have to – if you're going to kill Sandy for it, we do got to say that Epstein had these guys work for him too. The only difference is Epstein doesn't have a history of this. Sandy Alderson does. So I, I don't want to kill Theo, and I would love Theo Epstein if he came yeah, in. You, you start using the build the winner. I'm, I'm just trying to be fair, you know. You, you start making me wonder if, I, if I'm wrong for wanting Theo here. Like, is, is Theo bad at vetting people too and bringing in the right people? I mean, I don't think so, but. If some of these guys worked for him, I don't know if they were doing some of the same dumb shit while they were over there in Boston or Chicago. Yeah, that, that, see, that's the difference. Some of the bad stuff was was brought to Sandy's attention, especially with Mickey Calloway and nothing was done. So we can't say that about Theo Epstein, to my knowledge, you know? Yeah, and on the topic of moving a few pieces around, we got quite a few people up for free agency this year. They traded for Javi Baez, who's up for free agency. Stroman signed the qualifying offer. Now he's a free agent. Syndergaard and Conforto are free agents. They can extend the qualifying offer to them. What do you think about this situation? Do um in particular Javi Baez? We don't gotta go into too much detail about everybody. I know you you um you spoke with Will recently. We got an episode coming out, special episode with. Los and his, and his good friend Will talking about the Mets and a lot of stuff going on within the organization. In particular, they go deep into the 
upcoming free agency with the players I just mentioned. So you, we don't really got to go too deep into that, but I do want to know how you feel about Javi Baez and him possibly coming back. And in particular, Sandy's quote about the situation. I don't know if you got to see the whole, the whole um, little press conference he did, but he did mention Javi Baez and he said, hold on, I'm trying to find it right now. He said, is it possible? Yes. Is it realistic? Maybe. But it's hard for me to put odds on it. He said a whole bunch of nothing like he always does. I'm going to give you my personal opinion. When we first got Baez, I looked at him way differently than I look at him now. And it's true. Sometimes you got to watch these guys play every day. Because I look at Baez and I'm like, this guy swings at a lot of bad pitches. He's not patient. And then I saw him play every day, and he does so many other things that help you win ball games. He's a great defender. He's a great and instinctive base runner. He's clutch. He Now, he's not going to walk a lot, but he produces. For a guy who strikes out so much and is, swings at so many pitches, he does so many other things. So if it's me... I'm now pro-signing bias. Do you remember before this season started, we had Brian Salvatore on here. And I yes. said, bias is the guy I want. I've been begging for the Mets to get bias for at least five years now. We finally got him. Don't let that man go. You can say whatever you want about how much he strikes out. You can say whatever you want about how he was doing the thumbs down and he's a jerk or whatever, but his teammates love him. His energy is infectious. This man's swagger has New York written all over it. And on top of that, you can't name five infielders better defensively at any position. You are not going to be able to name five defenders that are clearly a better defender than Javi Baez. And then the man can rake in 30, 40 home runs? Come on. I'll take the 150 strikeouts with the 40 home runs in a gold glove. You just brought up the thumbs down? I completely forgot about that. I don't care about that anymore. The guy's shown that he plays his ass off. He's shown that he plays with passion and he tries to win, even as the season's dwindling down and they've been officially eliminated. He's still playing hard, and he's actually changed his um, approach at the plate. He's walked more with the Mets, and he's looked better with the Mets than he's looked in his whole career. If he's patient like this and, and, you know, he could sprinkle that in, I don't see what the problem is. Now, more importantly for me than his patience is him taking a step inside towards the plate. If he moves closer to the plate, all those pitches that he be swinging at, he's going to make contact on more. He he chases a lot of pitches, and they're not always that far off from the plate. He just too far away from the plate, in my opinion. If he takes a step in, he'll be able to get that barrel on there. He'll be able to make more contact with those pitches and Get those. Now, when a pitcher tries to make a tough pitch on the outside, even if he fouls it off, he's extending his at-bat. He's going to force the pitcher to waste pitches in. Sooner or later, they're going to make a mistake, and he's one guy that will make you pay for your mistakes. He's an amazing player. I'm glad you came around on him because I've been saying it for a while. You remember, I was excited that they got him. I just wanted them to get more than just him. I still want them to go and get Brian. Yeah, Brian was the guy I wanted during the trade deadline. And I wasn't upset that we got bias. It was just that, you know, like I said, when you get to see a player play every day, then it's more than just a highlight. You get to see every aspect of their game. You get to pay more attention. And uh, I'm happy that I got to see the type of player that I saw. And again, that's a player I'm definitely okay with investing in for this team's future because if he's going to sign he's going to sign 
you know, for a long-term deal. Then this is not going to be a short-term thing. Now, my last question regarding buyers before we move on. If we keep buyers long-term, would you rather see him play third base and keep McNeil at second, or would you prefer to move McNeil to second and put him at second? I mean, move McNeil to third and put him at second. I'd rather keep Baez at second. He's amazing at second. And I got to be honest, my gut feeling is I'm not sure if McNeil is going to be here next year. I, I like McNeil. I think he's a really good hitter. But I think they're trying to get a better third baseman. And that depends on which on whether they'll keep McNeil or not. But if it's just strictly defensive positioning, yeah, I think you got to keep Baez at second. And if McNeil is going to be your third baseman, you'll put McNeil at third. But Baez got to stay at second. I wouldn't move him at third. Him and Lindor have their chemistry is too good. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I love him. I, I'm happy that we got both of them. Lindor is also a guy that I've really admired from afar. By the way, and I don't know if it's because Bias is here, but Lindor for the last two months has hit very well. I think I saw um in the months of September, he has nine home runs and 25 RBIs. That's the Francisco Lindor we signed. For him to be that type of guy for more than half the season, of course, and put up big numbers. And I, I just think it's a, a couple of things. He got comfortable. The problem is he got comfortable and started hitting at the end of the year. And you can't deny that bias here lifted his spirits up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even mad at that. And, I, and that's just another reason why I think that they should re-sign him. You know that it's going to make Lindor happy. Lindor, after you gave him that contract, that's clearly the guy you're building around for the next five years. Well, obviously with Alonzo, but until Alonzo is eligible for a big payday, this is this is the guy you have to build around on because you've invested so much in. If Baez being there makes him happy... I don't care what it takes to sign buyers. Honestly, I don't want Steve Cohen to just start spending all silly and making ill-advised moves. But pay whatever it takes to get buyers to stay here long-term. You don't got to sign them to a 10-year contract. Give them a five, six-year contract with an with a opt-out clause in the third year. It doesn't necessarily have to be a super long contract. But he's still relatively young. He brings a lot of value to the team on and off the field. Give him, give him, you pay whatever the hell you have to pay to get him. I understand, like I said before, not a fan of 10-year contracts, didn't want to give Lindor a 10-year contract. But if you give him like a five, six, even a seven-year deal with an opt-out clause or early termination clause in there to make it work, then you do what the hell you got to do. You make Lindor happy. You fortify the defense. And we don't have to worry about anything in the middle of the infield for the next few years. Yeah, if I had to guess if he stays, I think it'll be close to the five years. That, that's just a guess, though. You know, no one knows. But I, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near 10 years. I don't even feel like they need to add in the opt-out. I'm just saying if that's what makes them feel more yeah, comfortable. Yeah, you want to close like, if that's what closes it. Yeah, like, like, didn't they want, isn't that one of the things that was holding up the Lindor deal besides that he wanted a little more money was that they was trying to get some type of early termination or um team option in there? He got to practice. He got to practice because the rules aren't in effect yet. The mandates go into effect. I believe I was told October 13th or something like that. So he was able to practice with the team recently, but he wasn't able to participate in media day because of health and safety protocols and apparently he's not vaccinated very hesitant and he wants us to respect his privacy he doesn't want to ask any questions or i mean be asked any questions about vaccinations or being able to play in home games i love him but he's a frustrating guy i can't lie how are you feeling about this situation and what this might mean for your nuts 
Well, you said it perfectly. It's frustrating because it seems like everybody else on the team is vaccinated. He's a huge player. And it's, what sucks is New York has the rule that if you're not vaccinated, you can't go into these huge indoor events. You can't even practice with the team. And he's a huge piece of this team. So, yeah, I'm very frustrated. I have a feeling that eventually push comes to shove, he's probably going to get vaccinated. But I'm nervous because I don't know that to be sure. And I, I don't know how that's going to work if you miss half the season and you miss all these home games. I don't know. I just think it's putting a shadow over the, over the nets before training camp, before preseason even starts. And you don't need it, you know? I, I just want... I want to see my team healthy. I want to see my team playing. And unfortunately, until this gets situated, it's going to be a topic because everybody loves talking about Kyrie. Part of it is the media's, you know, for some reason they got a hard on for him. And this point, this thing, this is, this is all his doing. He wants to say that is a private matter. And normally he's 100% right. But when you play with a team, when you play on a team in New York that has this rule, that means you can't play if you're not vaccinated, then it's more than a personal matter. It's definitely a team matter when there's that many games at stake. It's half the, half the, half the games, half the season, and you can't practice. Now, what pisses you know? me off about this rule more than anything is that it only applies to home teams. So it's crazy. Like we were talking about this earlier in the week. You're actually the person that put me onto this and I had to go online and double check. It doesn't make any sense to me that if the Warriors and the Nets had to play each other, Andrew Wiggins, unvaccinated, can go into Barclays Center and play against the Brooklyn Nets, but Kyrie Irving has to stay home. Fans can't even enter the arena without proving that they without showing proof that they were vaccinated. But Andrew Wiggins can. Kyrie Irving can't play at Barclays Center, but he can go over to Chase Center and play against the Warriors. But Andrew Wiggins can't. It makes no sense. It should either be universal or don't put the ban at all. But it doesn't make sense to allow road players in that are not vaccinated, but not home players or fans at all. It doesn't make sense at all. How is... like it? Can you help me understand this? I can't. It's the dumbest rule I ever heard in my life. Just from public safety and, you know, keeping the players healthy, it doesn't make any sense. If you're so scared of unvaccinated players playing, then any unvaccinated player shouldn't be playing. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like you said, the fans have to be vaccinated. I believe the refs have to be vaccinated. Uh, the... The people that work for Barclays, you know, pretty much everybody, inside. pretty much anybody involved with the NBA, except, except for the, the players, players, are mandated to be vaccinated. And most of the arenas are mandating that the staff are vaccinated, like as far as like vendors and stuff. New York supposedly has mandates and protocols that people have to follow when traveling into New York from other states. But yet, uh, if you're a professional basketball player in the NBA, those rules do not apply to you. Make it make sense. It's never going to make sense to me. And I, I know to, for you, it's never going to make sense. I, here's the bottom line at the end of the day. These are the rules. They stuck, but they are, they're going to affect the Nets. So he's going to have to get vaccinated if, if he wants to play. And I don't know about a lot of people, but from what I've seen, my initial reaction, a lot of fans are not going to be on his side when, when he's missing games. You know, you can have your own personal opinion on whether, whether people should uh, get the vaccination or not. To me, it's not a vaccination issue anymore. It's just a Kyrie issue. It's Kyrie being Kyrie and... I think no, I agree that it, I agree that a lot of it has to do with it just being Kyrie in this situation and people just love to badmouth him every chance they get. But from 
what I've seen on the internet and the people I've spoken with, it's more about the fact that he doesn't want to be vaccinated. The fact that he showed up to that school on the Indian reservation and did not wear a mask. Do you remember that article that you sent me screenshots from? Kyrie Irving not giving a damn about protocols or people's safety and health, not wearing a mask, despite the fact that pretty much everybody else was. Yeah, of course. And it's 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 all over the place, you know? And like I said, Kyrie Irving is not going to get the benefit of the doubt from the media in the most part because, you know, they love reporting on him and uh, he took he took a shot at them last year calling them pawns. So no one's forgotten that. But for me, for me, it's past, you know, a vaccine thing. It's about him playing and affecting the Nets' chances this year. And I just hope at the end of the day. Not only affecting the Nets' chances or missing games, but him being unvaccinated and playing in real games. I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but that uh, that affects the possibility. Uh, well, not affects the possibility, but that is potentially putting his teammates at risk. Because he's still allowed to play in road games. So you're putting your teammates at risk. You're putting the opposing teams at risk. Which is a trickle-down effect because we saw what happened last year. It was like, for like a week, anybody that played the the Wizards, there was a COVID outbreak. Now, granted, 90% of the, they said 90% of the players are vaccinated. But that's besides the point. Because just because you're vaccinated... Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean that you can't catch the virus. It just limits the effects and it it inhibits the effects and protects you from having a severe reaction to it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that man just that man had screws in his knee a couple years ago. That wasn't organic or all natural. Yeah, this the same thing with Jonathan Isaac. You were he wasn't taking herbs. And, and anytime you put a foreign substance in your body, you have to be on antibiotics because your body is liable to reject it. So I'm pretty sure he was taking antibiotics prescribed by the doctor after he got that knee surgery, not eating a bunch of herbs and grass. All of a sudden, we want to use synthetic medicine. The synthetic medicine stuff, whatever you want to call it, has been around for a long time. It saved a lot of fucking lives. And it's going to continue to save lives. Not saying that herbal medicine and organic remedies don't work. I just I just call bullshit on that comment. And it really upset me that he said that. But I don't want to stay on this anymore. We've talked enough about the vaccine. I don't want it to feel like I don't want people to feel like this show is turning into a propaganda machine. How about we move on to a team who's 100 percent vaccinated, a team who had their media day. Same day as the Nets, and didn't have to deal with this nonsense. It was just strictly basketball, and that's your New York Knicks. If you noticed throughout the media days with the different teams, any team that said they were 100% vaccinated, that was the end of it. Any team that uh, they didn't get a straight answer on being 100% vaccinated or a player saying... I'm going to keep that private or whatever. The media just kept hounding them about the vaccination and didn't care about basketball anymore. I found it to be hilarious. Now, I understand this is a matter of public health. Whatever happened to basketball? It's media day. Training camp was just started. It was the first day of training camp. It's media days. The first time you're getting to talk to everybody for the, um, what, for the past few months. Season is a few weeks away, and all y'all cared about was the vaccine. I watched the whole Houston Rockets media day, and the very first question that was asked when Raphael Stone and Stephen Zion sat, sat down was, what's the vaccination status of your team? As soon as they said that we were, they were 100% vaccinated, Not a single vaccination or COVID question came up again about anybody. But it it was just hilarious to me that that was the first first question. Sorry to go off topic, but 
it's just really frustrating what they what the media is doing. And my boy Dion brought up a good point. Fans love all this drama stuff. The media is just doing what's gonna get them clicks. And it's our fault. It's the same thing I say about the music industry. There's so much garbage music because the fans eat it up. And the labels are only going to put out what is going to make them money. So it is what it is. Way off topic, Nick's Media Day. It was hilarious to me that Derrick Rose was asked, who's going to be the starting point guard? And he immediately said, Kemba Walker is going to be the starter, yada, yada, yada. And everybody just, oh, Derrick Rose is such a good guy. Giving up the start. What? What did anybody expect when they signed Kemba? For Rose to start and Kemba come off the bench? That's the dumbest. Whoever thought that is is not very bright. The media, especially Nick media, they they live off drama and controversy. So they wanted it to be a, a point guard controversy, like a quarterback controversy in the NFL. But like you said, it was always going to be Kemba Walker being the starter. Derrick Rose played well off the bench. Kemba Walker is a better player. What's the big deal? It, it, it didn't make no sense. It was, it was a guarantee, in my opinion, in your opinion, in a lot of people's opinion. The only thing I'll say is that, like I said, they wanted to make it a storyline. They wouldn't have something to write about. They would have loved a week or two to be like watching the games and be like, okay, we got a competition. Who's going to, you know, is this, did Derrick Rose do enough to jump Kemba Walker, you know, blah, blah, blah. When the bottom line is I'm happy they shut it down because again, it shouldn't have been a question to begin with, but we won't spend getting a week or two of these fake point guard controversy um, columns and tweets and all of that, because it was only going to be for, for traffic and for clicks and stuff like that. Why else do you draft Quentin Grimes? Because these guys can shoot the ball very well. The Knicks were like 26th or something like that in three-pointers per game. Like attempts. Three-point attempts per game. Yeah, they were like 26th three-point attempts per game. But they were in the top three or top five in three-point percentage. You bring in two guys that can shoot the three at least 37, 38% for the season. Then you got Quentin Grimes, a rookie. If he gets playing time, I think he can easily shoot 40% from three, especially if he gets a lot of catch and shoot um, opportunities. Why wouldn't the Knicks shoot more threes? They need to shoot more threes. They were already efficient last year, and then you added better shooters into the fold. It, it, it's also where the game is going, stretching the floor. It makes it harder to defend. So, again, this is another thing that, to me, is obvious. It's something that didn't need to be said, and it's it's really not a, a big deal. And it started last year because two the difference between two years ago and last year were night and day under, under Tibbs. So I only expect them to to keep rising in that respect. They're gonna, that's just the, the way the, the NBA game is played now. I know a lot of people don't like it. They want to complain, but they're not complaining when they hit 20, 25 threes. And you know, that's what, that's 60 points if you hit 20 threes. So, you know, good teams, they put you away that way. And it's, it's not, it's not, a, it's nothing big. It's just, it's, it's quite obvious. My boy RJ Barrett was asked about how he feels about the possibility of taking on R Reggie Bullock's role as the, like, number one defender on the team, always guarding the other team's best perimeter player. And he said that's what he strives for. That's what he wants to be known as, a, an elite two-way player. And... If Thibodeau decides to put him in that position, he's up for the challenge and he's ready for it. A lot of people criticize him for his defense, but I think he has what it takes to, to be that guy. Not saying he's going to be a lockdown defender, shutting down everybody's best player, but I think he has the potential to be one of those top 
perimeter defenders in the league. He he has long arms. He's athletic. He's tough. And he I've never, in the years that I've been watching him play consistently, from his time at Duke to now, I've never seen him back down from a challenge. He may fail sometimes. He may, you know, he may he he wasn't good defender his rookie year. He wasn't great last year, but he made strides. I think he really has what it takes to be to be a, a really good perimeter defender and take on that role. Is is not going to be perfect. It's going to be rocky at first, probably, but. I really like the idea of RJ guarding the other team's best player. My only concern is with him playing so many minutes already and now him playing that role and giving even more effort on defense, is that going to take away from his offense and his development on that side of the ball? Because he took on a bigger role last year in the team. He, but he got better on offense. Now they got in more guys. They got Evan Fournier. They brought in Kemba. We still got Rose. We still got Burks. We got Grimes now. But I just hope that because we've seen in the past where you get more effort on defense, you lose a little bit of it on offense, and that's why you see so many guys not go so hard on defense because they want to be able to put up as many points as they can on offense. But I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, RJ's my guy. I, I don't know if you're one of the guys like me that I think a good percent of defense is just effort. And he's definitely a person that when I watch him play, he never doesn't show a lack of effort. He's always... You know, he's always trying. So if if you believe like I do that half the half the job is trying, then he's got all the tools to make himself a good defensive player. It's interesting what you said about tiring yourself out when it comes to the offensive end, when you're putting too much on the defensive end. I also myself get afraid of getting into foul trouble because sometimes you can play perfect defense. You can play even good defense. And they're still going to call a foul on you. And it gets frustrating. You feel like you can't defend as well because of pretty uh, tap fouls and stuff to that effect. Even though they said they were going to, you know, they're changing the way they, they officiate this year. So, yeah, I think if he puts his mind to it, he could pretty much do anything. He has all the tools. He was He was picked as a top three pick for a reason. Every single year, he's gotten better. The defense is going to come eventually. He doesn't have to become Tony Allen. He just can't be a liability out there. And I don't think he is a liability. I haven't really looked at the numbers that much, but just I watch the Knicks play a lot. And from the eye test, he looks like a decent defender. So if you're a decent defender and you put in the effort, you could become a good defender. Yeah, I really like his chances of, of being an elite defender. And if he's not an elite defender, he does like I'm not saying he all right, not yet. I think he has the potential to at least make one or two all defensive teams throughout his career. But even if he doesn't make it that high up on the ladder as far as elite defenders in the NBA, I think he will definitely be in an above average defender. Here's the thing. If he starts playing defense, right, and he's he's a good defender, they're going to have to put him on the top 100 list because what, <laughs> what, what, right? you, know? you can't say he don't play defense if he's playing defense. So I, I know, you know, a lot of people are still upset at that, but I'm no. Yeah, I don't want to. get. Was, I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going to take yeah, the bait. It's, it's not about bait, but. It's the truth, though. Add the defense, and, you know, they can't say nothing about you. Speaking of bait, the New York Jets lost 26-0 to the Denver Broncos. We don't got to go into too much detail about that ass whooping that they took. We, we, we said it last week. This was – I don't think either one of us expected them to get shut out completely, but we expected it to be a horrible loss for the, for the Jets. But this week they're going up – Against the Titans. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, there's no way the Jets stay within the touchdown of the of the Titans. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. I say take the Jets and the points. I think they're gonna keep it semi close. I think that the Titans are gonna get an early lead and run the ball a whole lot. They're saying that there's a good chance that AJ Brown and Julio Jones don't play, and I think they're just gonna let. Henry carried the ball all game. Once they get a lead, they're going to go run heavy, and they're not going to look back. I'm not saying the Jets are going to win. Listen. I'm just saying I don't think the Titans to explode. Listen. And I I also – wait, 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 wait. I also just have this this feeling that the Jets are going to get a defensive touchdown. So maybe that will help them keep it somewhat close. But I don't – I don't – I think they're going to lose. I just don't think it's going to be like – like last week or like against New England. I think they're going to play closer. And then, you know, towards the end of the day, towards the end of the game, you know, it'll fall apart. But they at some still- point, at some point, because I know you're dying to get on the Jets, and it's easy because, you know, they make it easy. But I think at some point, it's going to be a game. The last two weeks, at no point was there a game. They fell behind. You know, they've, they're the only team in the NFL that haven't had a lead this year. They're always playing from behind. They've never led. So, if you take t- just, just listen. When you're always losing, and you're always losing by double digits, you're forced to throw the ball. You're forced to have Zach Wilson make mistakes. You're forced to not run the ball and control the time of possession. You know, you're always trying to come back and score points. So, it's like a big... What's the word I'm looking for? It's like a big, big mix of stuff that 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 shows that they can't win games. And I think they're gonna keep it close. I think they're gonna be able to run the ball. Also, also, the first three, and we said it last week. If you look back at the first three weeks, all three teams that they played top ten defensively. The Titans are more towards the middle of the pack. I'm and. I don't know, man. They're averaging six points a game. It's hard for me to say, yeah, they're gonna score two touchdowns and you know they're gonna they're gonna keep it close. I think they keep it close with their defense and with the fact that the Giants uh, that the Titans are gonna be running the ball a lot. You mentioned the fact that AJ Brown and Julio Jones might not play on Sunday. Is that yeah. that's what you said, right? The yeah, Titans the Titans can have you and me lining up on the outside and still okay. put up and still put up 39 points against the Jets. I think it's, it's going to be an extremely low-scoring game. I, I don't think it's going to be as low-scoring as you think for the Titans. It will be for the Jets, but not for the Titans. The good news for the Jets is that this is the worst defense that they've played all season, like you said. And that's not to say that the Titans are hard. Now, yeah, the Titans aren't great. The Titans aren't good on defense so far this year. But they still have Derrick Henry. Who, who on the Jets? You can have all eleven Jets. Still not. Did you did you see what Melvin Gordon did to them last week? Melvin Gordon had a good game, but. Remember, part of the reason with the with the Jets, the Jets got a top ten defense. They're tenth in defense. They're not great, but the offense puts them in a lot of bad situations. It's hard to explain. And what makes you think that Sunday's going to be any different? I didn't say it was going to be any different. I said that they're going to keep the game close. So then, the what makes it different? Aren't close. The Titans aren't as good, in my opinion. As Denver, the Jets will be at home, and I just think that the Jets will be able to run the ball and have longer possessions. I think the Jets are going to run the ball well against the Titans, and it's going to keep the Giants, the Titans off the field as much as it did these these other teams. Also, just this has nothing to do with the game, but Zach Wilson's completion percentage his first three games is fifty four percent. If you add the drops, which the Jets lead the league in drops, catchable balls, his his percentage, his 
ask percentage will be 70% completion. It's a big difference. They got to help each other. The guys got to catch the ball. Wilson has to be smarter. They got to stop getting all these penalties. What I'm explaining and what I'm saying is they're a bad team. And bad teams keep doing stuff to not win games. So does Zach Wilson bounce back from his 160-yard performance? Yes. Everybody looks better this Sunday. They still lose, but everybody looks a little better. I'll put it that way. The Jets give up 110 rushing yards a game so far. Yeah, yeah, they're going to probably give up about a buck 75 on Sunday. I say about 230. That's a lot of yards. It's gonna be a long. It's gonna be a long, long day. Yeah, but 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 you but you also gotta remember it's not just Derrick Henry that's gonna be running the ball. It's gonna be Ryan Tannehill. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So when I say two thirty, I'm saying like Tannehill's probably gonna get about forty rushing yards, and Derrick Henry's probably gonna get about one hundred and ninety, two hundred. He did it once this season against a better team. I'll ask you this: I know the Jets play Atlanta in London. And that'll probably be their first winnable game, you know, to a lot of people. It'll probably be a toss-up. Maybe a lot of people still think Atlanta be the heavy favorites. But if you're not, if you're not playing better, because remember, wins don't matter to me this year. I want to see them playing better, and they're not playing better as of now. Now it's losses, and they're not showing any progress, which makes it worse. I just want to see some progress. Starting this week against the Titans. Hopefully, my guy Mims finally gets to play. And if not, we always could look forward to the Giants going to New Orleans. There's nothing to look forward about that. There's nothing to look forward to about that at all. The Saints are going to whip the Giants' ass. It's going to be bad. Alvin Kamara is going to run all over them. Giants are one spot ahead of the Jets in rushing yards given up per game at 107 per game. Not a good look. Not a good look at all. Not looking forward to this. They also just lost their best. They lost Blake Martinez, too. Yeah, for the season. Torn ACL. Oh, man. The the defense hasn't been as good as it's been expected to be and should be playing. They've been giving up close to 400 yards per game. We should have won the last two games, but we didn't. We lost the last two weeks to what game-winning field goals with time expiring. Two weeks in a row, unacceptable. It's giving me too many Pat Shermer vibes. I don't like it at all. I still have faith in Joe Judge. Daniel Jones has not been the problem at all this year he hasn't been great but he has not been bad the defense has been the main issue for me other than the offensive line we got to step it up we got to show improvement but this ain't the week that is going to happen in my opinion I'm just hoping that they could force Jameis to have a bad game and keep it low scoring but I don't expect him to win this game at all I'm happy you you mentioned Jameis because He'll have one week where he'll throw three or four touchdowns. He won't have no turnovers. And then he'll have the next week where he'll throw for four or five interceptions. Now, the only thing, well, it's not the only thing. There's a couple of things that are against the Giants this week. First of all, is first game in New Orleans in a while since the hurricane. And you know that crowd is going to be so hyped. They're going to be so amped. The Saints got a good defense. They're only allowing... um, 14 points per game. And the Giants haven't been scoring lately, even though I have a problem because when I look at the Giants and I look at their roster, I feel like they should be scoring a lot more points and have a lot more explosive plays. So I'm confused as to if that's a Garrett situation. Is that a, a, let's just say, Gallery? Is he not... Because he did miss time with an injury in in, uh, in camp, is it that he's not used to playing with Daniel Jones yet? No, nah, I'm I'm blaming Garrett all the I'm blaming I blame Garrett and the offensive line all the way. Penalties and Garrett have held us back. If 
and 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 there's been some drop passes. Health has been an issue. Last week we lost Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton in the same quarter. We lost Darius Slayton, Blake Martinez, and Sterling Shepard in the same game. It was bad. And we just got Evan Ingram back on Sunday. Evan Ingram's first game back, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton go down. I, I, I said it a million times. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Sterling Shepard can't stay healthy for nothing. He's always hurt. He's always hurt. When he's healthy, he's amazing. But you you know that on any given Sunday, he's going to get hurt. And he's going to miss significant time. It happens pretty much every year outside of his rookie year. So I wasn't shocked, but I was upset and disappointed. And that also plays a part. We Look, the game against the, the Washington football team, Daniel Jones had a long run for a touchdown that got called back by a penalty. Darius Slayton drops a wide open touchdown pass. These are plays that essentially cost us the game. We lost to a, a, a field goal and lost by what, two points, I believe, to a game winning field goal with time expiring. Now, I feel like Judge should have called the timeout and tried to ice the kicker. He's very inexperienced in the game-winning situation. You had the timeouts to, to waste. Why not go for it? That's one. But more importantly, Darius Slayton doesn't drop that pass. We win the game. If, if Daniel Jones doesn't get called back for the um, penalty, then we're not even in a situation where they're kicking a field goal to win the game. They, they, even if they score a touchdown, they don't win the game. It, it was costly errors throughout the game. Even last week, penalties killed us. Drop passes killed us. The Giants only have two turnovers on the season. The Giants offense have only turned the ball over twice. Daniel Jones has one turnover all season, but the Giants are 0-3. I saw that the Giants are having problems in the red zone, too. They've been to the red zone nine times and only have three touchdowns. You got you to gotta get the ball in for seven sometimes, you know, and that's part of the situation of not scoring enough, not having enough explosive plays. And down the line, maybe I see that changing, but this week I just – I don't have a good feeling at all about this game. I think I think this is actually going to be a blowout. I think the fans are going to get into the game, and it's going to be one of those bad Sundays. And eventually, at the end of the day, I think both teams, both New York teams are going to be 0-4, and we're going to start looking at the schedule and say, man, when are, when are these teams going to win a game? You know, a quarter of the season is going to be over and they're going to have, and they're going to both be winless. And Judge is starting to get, uh, I'm not going to say he got, got a little spicy with the media, but they asked him a question about uh, not going for it on fourth down and analytics and stuff. And it seemed like, you know, the honeymoon situation with him is, is starting to end slowly. And like I said before, I don't necessarily think it's his fault completely. You know, I just think uh, they're not playing well. And when you're not playing well, the coach gets, you know, the coach and the coaching is going to get a lot of the the turmoil from the fans and from the media. Daniel Jones has two touchdowns and zero interceptions on the season through three games. Two touchdowns is horrible through three games, but he has zero interceptions. He has just as many passing touchdowns as Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. But he has just as many passing touchdowns as Mac Jones, Davis Mills. Davis Mills only played two games, and he has just as many touchdowns as Daniel Jones. Doesn't make sense. But, I mean, Lamar Jackson has – oh, I'm sorry. Lamar Jackson has one more touchdown than him. He has three touchdowns. Daniel Jones only has two touchdowns. He's averaging 260 yards a game. Everybody talks so bad about Daniel Jones, right? Not too many people are saying much about Baker Mayfield. Daniel Jones has two more passing yards than Baker Mayfield. 
averages the same amount of passing yards per game, has the same amount of touchdowns, and has less interceptions than Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think I think it's clear. Like we both said, Daniel Jones is not the reason why this team is winless. He's just not. It's a whole bunch of things. You know, if there's a list, he's probably towards the bottom. I'd go with penalties and not being able to score touchdowns. And and you gotta you gotta like with the Jets too. I want to see some creativity. I want to see some design plays for guys who haven't gotten the ball. And I feel like we you you spend all that money on Galladay, get him the ball, design some place to get him the ball early, get him and Daniel Jones in a groove, and go from there. And that's where uh, that's where Garrett that's where Garrett's job is. Listen, Joe Judge's first year, you saw him fire people without hesitation midseason. I'd like to see him do that again. I'd like Jason Garrett to be fired in, in during this season. I'd like him to be fired tomorrow. I'm pretty sure there's somebody you can hire off the street that'll do a better job than him. Go hire somebody that's won a Madden tournament, and I'm pretty sure they'll do better than Jason Garrett. I'm sick of him. <clears throat> I never wanted him in the first place. I don't even want to talk about the Giants anymore. I'm, I, I, I don't want to think about the Giants until Sunday. And that's only because I have to watch them. Because what else am I going to do? You enjoy the good. Yeah, you man, there's only the 17 of these games. And then when the season's over, you miss them terribly. And it's like seven, only seven months waiting to watch these games. Only 17. These are going to be the 18 longest weeks of my life. I don't you know what. Let's just end it right here. <laughs>